Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham. And if you're just joining us for the second hour, welcome. We're grateful you're here. And we're looking forward to you being one of the warriors here in this conservative movement going forward and making sure that we have all the facts straight and that we're doing what we possibly can to have the best possible outcome and find our ways to the values and principles that are the best governing principles and values. That's the conservative movement as we go. We understand the whole notion of individualism. We understand American exceptionalism. We understand having to work for the best possible outcome and the whole concept of the value of accomplishment. If we can work hard and have a great outcome, we're going to high five you and celebrate you for doing what is awesome. You're becoming self-sufficient, sustaining. What a concept. Not living off the back of the government as we get there. And this is the most powerful thing or most painful thing as we get moving forward is you start to see these impact points and everybody wants to sugarcoat what's happening. Look, if you're if you look at political people over the years, if there's a success during their tenure, maybe it even came from the administration before, they take credit for it. If there's a failure, they blame the administration before. They take credit for the good stuff, they blame the administration before. And then when they're in place and when their policies are obviously failing, they start to look at these policy points and they do not want to take accountability for it, right? They get to a point and they push back and they'll spin it. Look, data is we've we've seen this happen with the whole environmental arguments, right? This concept of global warming, right? We had acid rain or kid, then we have global warming, then they go to climate change. They couldn't support the global warming notion because parts of the world were cooling, so then they say climate change. So now anything that happens with the climate that's a little off the rung, then they say, see, we told you, you know, you got to stop doing this, that you got to quit these fossil fuels, not to mention that they clean our water and stuff with coal. But um, you start to get to this point where it's just out of control. But who has the microphone? They call the bully pulpit, right? So they can spin the information in a way that they want to. That's kind of what I get to do today is share information. that I believe it's relevant and best outcome. And I hope you realize that there's no self gain. The mission is to have the best outcome. I look at my six kids. I look at my family. I want to have jobs, opportunity, prosperity, safety, great education for my family, and good health. I think every American could agree to that. It's how we get there and the outcome we hope for. So going into it, I talked about Joe Biden, his speech this morning, and I want to share with you his two words, his two words. When you hear this speech at first, you're going to flinch a little bit knowing who you are, who our listeners are. And they don't want you to pay very close attention to the remainder of the speech. This is just under two minutes. And the reason why it's important to listen to this is because he tees up the potential. I talk about this forecasting. He tees it up. And so here it is. And uh, excuses before they fall. Here they go. Before I begin today, I want to say a word about the news that came out today relative to the economy. Actually, I just want to say a number. Zero. Today, we received news that our economy had 0% inflation in the month of July. 0%. Here's what that means. While the price of some things go up, went up last month, the price of other things went down by the same amount. The result, zero inflation last month. But people were still hurting. But zero inflation last month. Economists... I had to stop there for just one second. He says 0% inflation here, but people are still hurting. I mean, the reality is he wants to be up there and say 0% inflation to make you feel like you maybe should feel good. It hurts at the pump, but wait a minute. You might be hurting a little bit, but you should feel good because I'm telling you, no, 
Inflation, right? He said, what, 0%. Those are the two words, 0%, really. Okay, so we'll keep listening. Look at a measure of inflation that ignores food and energy prices, and they call it core inflation. That's about the lowest amount in several years, several months. So food and fuel. It ignored food and fuel. Well, guess what we need as human beings in to survive? There's two things, food and fuel. There's a book called uh, Chop Wood, Carry Water, and it's about the samurai, ancient civilization and stuff. And the two core things that they talk about is chop wood, carry water. Why? Chop wood, bring it to your home for heat and to cook your food and the water for obviously for food and such. Chop wood, carry water. The two essentials to survive. That's it. Okay. And so, oh yeah, but we don't include those into this, but everything else, core inflation, it's just good. Okay. So here you go some more. When you couple that with last week's booming jobs report of 528,000 jobs created last month and 3.5% unemployment, it underscores the kind of economy we've been building. We're seeing a stronger labor market where jobs are booming and Americans are working. And we're seeing some signs that inflation may be getting to moderate. Okay, he just got done telling you there's 0% inflation, right? That it's that's neutralized for this month or what have you. And then he tells you we're seeing some signs that inflation may start to moderate. He didn't say go down. Moderate, I think, about is leveling out. You know, it's like kind of getting to a place where we're, hey, we're kind of getting a feel for this. It's moderating out right now. And But he's saying this. Again, I just heard him say 0% inflation. He's talking about things going great. Oh, core inflation is virtually nothing, but that doesn't include fuel or food. And then now we look at this and he says they're starting to moderate. Again, this is the kind of stuff, if you saw my hair literally – Five, six years ago, I had a full head of hair. It was dark. Now I've got platinum blonde hair. That's just about what I tell my kids. No grays, platinum blonde, and it's all natural. But it is definitely a head full of hair because of comments and statements like this because I want to run through the TV and say, but wait, he's not telling you the truth. Okay, so here, listen to this more. Here comes the, the forecasting. That's what happens when you build an economy from the bottom up and the middle out. The wealthy do very well and everyone has a chance. It gives everyone a chance to make progress. Now I want to be clear. With the global challenges we face from the war in Europe to disruption of supply chains and pandemic shutdowns uh, in Asia, we, uh, we could face additional headwinds in the months ahead. So there it is. Okay, look. When I look at a solution, when Donald Trump became president of the United States, he said, I want to put people to work. We had a very high unemployment. In Rio Rico, down in the southern part of Arizona, which is a heavy Hispanic part of our state they had 25 percent unemployment when he took office okay when he took office he promised everybody i'm gonna put you back to work i'm gonna make america great again and he outlined it said putting you to work make america rich again make america safe again and on and on and on he did this he put policies in place and he he started to limit government he started to reduce regulations and stuff and guess what happened in those border cities they started to increase their employment okay to magnificent numbers they dropped almost below the national average in those areas that were just dipping beyond belief. So those are sustainable moves that do it. It's not like, look, we look at this global marketplace and we start thinking about trade. And what did he do? He just touched on all the hot spots that every one of us have been complaining about since this guy took office. Supply chain, the war in, in Europe. That Look, Ukraine would never have gone into conflict if President Trump was there. He would have stomped on on Putin and stopped him in his tracks before he did it because the impact points were too great. 
okay? He would have stopped them. Actually, quite honestly, I think Putin, again, patient in that whole Eastern Bloc of that part of Europe, maybe crossing into Asia, they're patient, okay? And they understand. But this guy already showed himself, Trump did. If you wrong him, the, he smashes back. He doesn't, if you hit him with a fly swatter, he comes back with, with a sledgehammer, okay? And that kind of positioning, just a couple of times, started putting things in check to the point where he was applauded by the UN with his dealing with some of these darn terrorists that we had in this world. So now this guy says, hey, oh yeah, but... I'm just, just don't count it out, but we have all this global tension. We have this stuff going on in the Ukraine. We've got supply chain issues. We've got fuel issues, all this. A lot of this can be solved through this executive strategy, working with our legislature, especially when they have control. They are not interested in lifting the American people right now. They're interested in controlling us. And we feel pain and we feel helpless. Well, who do you look to? You look to who can help you, right? You need somebody, you might call your in-laws. You need something else, you might call a friend to help you. If you don't have any options, what do you go to? You go to the government, and that's where, when you pinch us hard enough, that's what happens many, many times as you get there. So just listen to the rest of this, if you can handle it. Our work is far from over, but two things should be clear. First, the economic plan is working, and second, is building an economy that will reward work. Wages are up this month, provide opportunity, help the middle class, and still have work to do, but we're on track. So there we are. Okay, so again, I am a realist, right? I talk to my friends and my neighbors, and I know where people are financially. And they tell you, right? If your friends are having stresses, they tell you. I spoke with this morning uh, a good friend of mine that's in the housing industry. He was a builder. Housing new starts, the building and construction about three, four weeks ago, he told me it was about 50% down. Now he said it's just done. Nobody's signing contracts, doing this stuff. Multi-homes and some of the commercial stuff still going. It's just done. It is just new home builds are just not happening. Now, you, you, we'll talk about the impact points as, as good policy rolls through economies. You can really stimulate fantastic growth and great outcomes. But you have to have the model to do so. When you hear somebody say these kind of things on the heels of this Inflation Reduction Act, there's a lot of hot air that's coming out, and this hot air does burn if you let it burn. So we come back. What is Schumer doing with the news publications as it relates to approvals? Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham filling in for Seth Leapson. Thanks for joining us. You know, I hear that song, Aruba, Jamaica. I think most of us would have to use rowboats to get there right now because the cost of airfare is insane. I love the idea of dreaming sitting on the beach right now. But again, with families, it is there's a cost dynamic right now. Do you go camping in the backyard or do you make it up to Flagstaff or somewhere else? Who knows? I mean, it, it, people adjust their behavior because we have to. So we went into this and you heard that little clip by President Joe Biden where he came out and he said, look, uh, no percentage increase, uh, no inflation for this month or for the month of July or what have you. And well, you just sit there and scratch your head. And what was interesting, if you really listen to every single word, you know, everybody wants to hear the no inflation part. And they don't listen to where he says, yeah, well, there's a little thing called core inflation that we measure. But that does include fuel and food. OK, well, again, those are the essentials that not to mention clothing ourselves, but those are the essentials to live, to survive, to have an outcome, to be able to thrive, to be independent and not to be dependent. And so that is something you should not discount out of the out of the equation as you get there so i wanted to pull up some information there's a great site out there 
It actually looks at all the costs across the globe, and it starts talking about the impact points as you get there. DUI, let's see here, DIU story. It's called, and they, they talk about retail inflation. Okay, so just get not, get a feel for it. this is last year July to this year July, and these are some things that I think are pretty common. I could go through a bunch of them, but I'm just gonna a handful here. Tomatoes. The cost of tomatoes has gone up 50.5%. Okay? How many of you use tomatoes to cook? Today I had lunch. I had tomatoes in my salad. So all these restaurants and doing things, they're buying that stuff, and they've got a 50% increase that's going to impact their bottom line. Potatoes, 33.7% increase. No inflation. Okay, we hear people talk about 9% inflation. That's the core without food and without uh, fuel. If you add those two in, it gets wild and crazy. Cooking oil, 22.5%. Okay, here you are, guys. What are you cooking with cooking oil? Probably a few things, right? Wheat. Is wheat in anything we eat? In process, 19.8%. This number is going to go up higher. There is going to be some inflation related to the Ukraine, and it's going to be around wheat. You're going to see these numbers jump up significantly because the uh, Ukraine is a mass producer of wheat. Uh, let's see here. Sunflower oil, 11.5% increase. Again, another cooking oil, right? Milk, 7.1%. So you start getting to the point, look at this, this is just one, one little segment of where you go. So now to give it kind of a more macro feel to it, fuel and light, 10 point, this is in June of 2022. Remember all these numbers and find their way to graphs and they find their way to the consumers about a month behind. So Fuel and light, 10.39% inflation. Clothing and footwear, 9.52. Food and beverages, 7.56 as an average. Healthcare, 5.47%. Education, 4.51%. Housing, up 3.93%. It just gets crazy as you relate to this. So now, again, we're trying to consume. We're trying to maintain our lifestyles. We're doing what we possibly can to have the best outcome. Now, some of the stuff that they're doing now with raising interest rates and stuff like that is essential, is important to kind of curtail inflation. But what happens is, is that politicians want to high-five you, right? They want you to feel like you're feeling pretty darn good and having good outcomes. By way of raising the interest rates, you constrict the money supply and the home values would go down. And so everybody was so excited about the the small inventory, the home prices, you know, the way that they were skyrocketing and stuff. And so political people were sticking their fingers in the air, their wet finger, trying to figure out which way the wind was blowing. And they knew if they weren't careful, it was going to be completely out of control. So they aggressively start raising it. If you were to hold your hands out to the side like a teeter-totter, put your arms straight out like a teeter-totter. One hand, you've got interest rate. The other side, you've got the value of your home. This is what happens. When interest rates go up, your values come down because they have to. And what I mean by that is if you have, if you want to sell your house, let's say you've got a house for 200000 bucks, and you want to sell it, well, at the new higher interest rates, it might disqualify 25% of your potential buyers, maybe 75% of your potential buyers. But if you lower it to 180 or 175 and maybe you've got a bunch of equity in that house, okay, now they're qualified, okay, in a way. Maybe now they can make the payments because you've done that. Now the opposite works too. If interest rates start to go down, then the value of the house improves, and now people can handle more house with the lower interest rates. So it works that simply. So trying to dial it down as simple as you possibly can. But when you start looking at food and all these other things, it doesn't work that way. Okay, When you start thinking about taxation and all these elements that are coming, it's going to artificially jam 
the people, not artificially, it's because it's going to be stimulated by this tax bill that's coming, and it's going to hurt people in a number of different ways. Not to mention, when you have 87,000 new IRS agents out there, they're not going to come and hang out with you and try to you know, see how life's going. They are looking for money, okay? So fundamentally, this is something that we need to talk about as well. <clears throat> okay, so when you hear about these policies and you see all these things happening, making sure that we time them right and do the best we possibly can. We went through a big, big, long cycle where we didn't lose control of inflation. And there were a bunch of Fed Reserve chairs and stuff that did a very good job. And there was economic policy and stuff that just kept us at bay in a number of ways. So we had balance, so to say. Okay, but now think about the outcome that we want. If you if you create an environment that rewards creativity risk-taking, entrepreneurship, and such, those combined will actually lead to sustainable growth, okay? So if I, if I come out with some concept, a widget that, that, again, people want and they use, and the environment is good for investors to come and put money into it, and then we take it to market and people consume and they buy it, guess what happens? The product is sold. We have to manufacture the product so people are hired. You've got bookkeepers, accountants, lawyers. You've got um, laborers. You've got whatevers. You've got delivery people. You've got it. Just starts to touch everything. Not to mention, as you hire people, what do they do? They consume. They buy appliances. They go to Subway. They're going to small businesses. They're going to the seamstress. They're doing whatever it's going to take. Okay, to survive and live. But now they have the means and the capacity to do that. That's through innovation. So one of the ways that you can take the wet blanket off of an economy is by lowering taxation. This is something that the Democrats can't put their head around because they want to skin the back. It's too hard to innovate. It's too hard to to bet on what could come if you start to give back freedom and liberties to people to be innovative and creative and reward them for their successes. And so that's why they look at cells on a spreadsheet and say, look, if we just raise taxes a little bit here, we're going to create all this revenue. And then when we get all this revenue, we're going to be able to pay for this health care. We're going to be able to do this. We're going to be able to reduce our national debt. We're going to do this and this and this. And it sounds fantastic. But so many people have learned that that doesn't work. I don't know if you've ever heard of a syntax. Okay, syntaxes are taxes that are usually applied to things that maybe aren't in the common life. Okay, so smoking, alcohol, bars, um, other types of entertainment that maybe is not so virtuous. They start to apply taxes this year, and most people will vote for it because it's a syntax, right? They go, who, you know, they won't say syntax, but you know what I'm saying? It's just one of these things that are often, hey, how many people really do that anyways? Go ahead, tax it. That's great. And then the the lawmakers are going, yes, I'm going to raise the taxes here, and I'm going to show you that raising taxes is going to fix everything. So what happened to little old Maryland years ago when they raised the cigarette tax? I'll give you an example, because these kind of examples should set the stage for policy that works and policy doesn't work. And I'll also talk about the governor, former governor of Washington State, Democrat, who was one of Obama's economic advisors before he got fired. And what he did in that state to reduce the deficit was pretty remarkable. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, and thanks for listening in. If you haven't heard, I'm sitting in for uh, Seth Leapson today. I'm grateful to be back. It's all, It feels like home back here being with Bill and the 
and the station and all of you. So for those that call, thank you, and all those that text and email while we're on the air here, I appreciate you very much, and I'm grateful for you, and I'm grateful that you're listening. And we went in the break. We're talking a little bit about taxation, and there's this whole concept. Art Laffer, if you remember, he was an advisor to President Reagan, an economic advisor, and he created something called the Laffer Curve. It's a very simple way to understand how people respond to taxation, okay? So, like, if you – I'll just kind of just say it this way simply because I can't show you that the higher the taxation, people pull away from it, right? So he used to say that there's two guarantees as it relates to taxes. If you tax somebody 100% of their income, you're going to get zero taxes. If you charge zero taxes, you're going to get zero tax revenue as well, okay? So you've got to find some happy place in there to fulfill the promises that are in the Constitution, okay? And then to also be able to, again, when you talk about providing the general welfare stuff, have the infrastructure and the safety and stuff like that. So where do you go? And then how do you be competitive? It used to be country to country would be competitive. Now it's state to state. People understand this migratory dynamic that's here. So if you raise taxes too high, people pull back. They migrate away. They either move, which that didn't used to be the case, or they just change their consumption patterns. One quick example in Sedona. I was in Sedona. This is about the time that Governor Brewer raised the taxes on the sales tax. Now, it was a 1% increase in tax, but overall was an 18% lift in what our current sales tax was at that particular time. Okay, I literally was in an art gallery in Sedona with my mother. My mother's an artist. And I heard one of the people that were there, they wanted to buy this great big painting. This painting was not cheap. I think it was like 18 grand. It was ridiculous, okay, as far as the uh, the size. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, the person's home that had this. But they loved the art. They wanted to buy it. So they tell the person, the clerk that's helping them in this gallery, and the clerk says, go outside in the parking lot and call me from your phone and order it, and I'll mail it to you, and I'll do everything. Just take your credit card information. That way you can avoid the state sales tax because we did it over the phones. So, again, that time this was legal, but this is called tax avoidance, right? It's not tax evasion. It's tax avoidance. It's a migratory changing behavior. Now, if we wouldn't, if, if the taxes wouldn't have been so highlighted in the public, likely that person would just come in, bought it, and just kind of move along. The clerk wouldn't have thought. So they still, the state would have gotten some revenue. So by jamming people just a little bit more, things change. So Maryland has a deficit, right? They're in a point where they wanted to fix their little deficit. is about $140 million deficit. They also wanted to have state-sponsored health care. This is before the Obamacare came out. And so somebody in their Democratic legislature had the bright idea to nail, some, nail the people of Maryland with a sin tax. Those darn smokers, nobody likes you anyway. Let's put $1 tax, one whole dollar. That means massive. You think about this. Tax on every pack of cigarettes that they went. And these guys were like, you are the smartest. They sponsor the bill. It flies through the legislature, hits the governor's desk. They put it in the law, and there you go. So now they, they, they're licking their chops because now they're not only going to be able to fix their deficit, but they're also going to be able to create this massive tsunami of money and revenues coming in so they can pay for their state-sponsored health care. What happened? Well, the people of Maryland said, you know what? We live in a small state. Many of us live on the border of other states that have favorable tax treatments. So what the consumer did is they started to go over state lines and buy cigarettes in other convenience stores. So gas stations and such, and they were buying. I mean, this flipped the governor out so bad. Literally, at some point, they put checkpoints, and they were stopping random cars to see if people were buying. I mean, this is so unconstitutional, legal, it's disgusting. But they would stop people, and they would try to find them if they were buying cigarettes in these other states. They were trying to change behavior by punishing them. 
But listen to this. So not only did they sell 22 million less packs of cigarettes, so all that lot less, they didn't increase their sales or revenue in the state. They decreased it. They diminished it by millions and millions and millions of dollars. But now the part that you can't see are the ancillary spending and the other revenue that comes from consumption. I know a lot of smokers, have them in my family. And when I see, when they go into the gas station to buy a pack of cigarettes, is that usually all they buy? Or do they buy a soda? Maybe they buy a pack of matches or a lighter, a candy bar, maybe whatever. All that consumption tax, that revenue that comes from that is gone. They've lost it. Okay. So here you go. You go, wow. This is it. So here they think we're going to solve something, and then those taxes are inflationary moves because it's costing us more money. So on a federal level, and they start blanketing us and whomping us like this, we will change our behavior. We will start to consume differently and do things differently, and that, that's where you start to see the investment returns drop. You start to see wages drop. You start to see consumption in our small businesses, which are 74% of our job growth in our nation is in the small businesses, all of that starts to be impacted. But there's solutions. And I'm going to share with you an unlikely source, Governor Locke, former Governor Gary Locke of Washington State. A lot of things I didn't like about him, but man, on some economic policy, woo, pretty remarkable. Stay tuned so you can hear. These are solutions we need to start thinking about. But again, we have to unify to have great outcomes. So stay tuned. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham. And again, I am back in for Seth Leibson. And we were just talking about taxation. We, we hear this great Inflation Reduction Act that's coming. We hear about this IRS that is uh, planning on hiring 87,000 people. And I'm going to get to this because once I share this next part, I want to talk a little bit about the IRS, the methodology, and what we have to look forward to. And I got to tell you, people, if you're aggressive on your taxes, you might want to rethink how aggressive you are because with 87,000 new sets of times two eyeballs staring at your taxes, they're looking for resources and money to skin our back to pay for everything that they're dumping into the world right now financially. And this is a, a tough, tough time. Again, it's just paying attention and make it happen. So going to the break, I talked about Governor Gary Locke. He was a governor of uh, the great state of Washington State, which is a bit wild and crazy. And um, he was, uh, again, he is a member of the Democratic Party. He went out there in his offices. He was in office for a number of different uh, things along the line. He served as a economic advisor to President Obama and didn't last very long, quite honestly. He came into office or into his appointment there, and he was dismissed because, again, it makes too much sense what he does and what he did. But he had a keen eye in looking at a number of things, and I won't talk about the social dynamics or anything. I'm talking just economics at this particular point. So when he became governor of the state, they, again, another massive deficit, and he was trying to fix it without taxing the people, okay? He was trying to fix this because he thought that government was big and messy. What a concept. And to hear a Democrat talk like this just kind of blew my mind. So one of the first things he did is he came in and he set the standard for the state. He said, look, he set a vision for the state and said, this is the outcome. This is the hope that we have kind of a vision statement or mission statement for the state. He asked every department in the state their department heads, they had to write a letter and show how their department would support the mission of the state. Now, if a department 
totally could not articulate any aspect of how they would relate to the vision or the mission, or if they tried and they failed miserably, guess what he did to those departments? He closed them. I mean, we're not talking about like 15 employees. We're talking about departments where he eliminated lots of jobs, lots of bureaucracy and lots of infrastructure because he couldn't afford it. He couldn't justify that department being existing if they couldn't even articulate how they would support the mission of the state. The reason why this is relevant is we just had our primary here for our governors. And I listened to all of our gubernatorial candidates and I heard people in the audience say, what will you do when you become governor? I never heard anybody talk like this, okay, except for Gary Locke. And in the story, there's a book called Rich States, Poor States. It might be edition number one or two. If you read this, again, Art Laffer, Jonathan Williams, and Stephen Moore, all economic advisors, you've heard of them, either with the American Legislative Exchange Council, Wall Street Journal, and the White House. And when you see these stories, you go, oh, my gosh, this stuff really works. So then the next thing he did is he, he hired a guy, and they called him, they had a nickname for him called the Mass Repealer. So what he did is he took all the state laws, a lot of laws that we have in our books in our state and other states. We still have infrastructure to support and to enforce those laws, but they're old and antiquated laws. They just they don't they're not relevant, like driving a horse carriage on a cur- on a sidewalk. You know, that probably doesn't happen every day anywhere in Arizona or probably at all anymore. And so what do you how do you deal with it? So what the mass repealer did is he would go through and he would line up a boatload of these laws that were on the books present them to the governor, and then they went back and they repealed them. Repeal, 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 repeal. So, again, you might say, hey, this is a heartless approach to to the way that you're cleaning up an economy, but we talk about limited government. This guy's a Democrat, and he's doing it. He's reducing the size of government because he's taking bills and laws off the books that are not relevant today. Okay, the Constitution is the guiding principle that will always be relevant. These bills and some of these things just don't apply, right? Okay, so he eliminates them. My favorite thing that he did was something called the Yellow Pages test. And I just pray that any of our elected people out there think and listen and hear and start to apply these kind of principles. The Yellow Pages test was fantastic. He took the remaining divisions or departments of the state of Washington and they opened the Yellow Pages. If they could find a private company or companies or sector that supported something that the government was trying to duplicate internally, then they would close the department and outsource it to those pu- those private companies. Wow, what a concept. How many, you know, if you're a taxing authority and you're not quite profitable, you can keep taxing people and keep the doors on, the lights on, right? If you're a private company, you're not running an efficient business and the market is not willing to support it, guess what happens to that company? It goes away. The, the economy shifts, the market shifts. That means that people didn't need it. So his mindset was when you shift this over to the private sector, the market will tell you whether they need it or not. There's no reason for a government to sustain, prop up a service or a product or some benefit if the people don't want it. So he outsourced that whole thing. So guess what happened? In a matter of 18 months, he shifted that economy, okay, all through the reduction of the size of government. So, again, when we tax people, we're spending more, generally speaking. Some of that may be for economic stimulation. They're going to they're gonna couch it. They're going to present it. They're going to do whatever they can to make us go, well, that's, that's great. I'm glad you're putting that money in there. It's going to help this, that, and the other. But the reality is when you give the money back to the people, 
you take pressure off all of us. It allows us to be more creative. There's a gentleman here, and I won't tell you his business, but he's in the family entertainment business with amusement parks and all that kind of stuff, and a really big business, and been wildly successful in a number of different fronts and multiple sectors in this economy, both here in the United States and globally, internationally. He's had great business successes. And he is in his 70s. He and I were talking, good friend, and I, I love guys like this because they've been there, done that in a number of ways, and they have great perspective on so much. And um, there was a business opportunity that we were discussing, and he looked at me and said, you know, I'm done with operating companies. And, we're, you know, and I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, there's no incentive anymore. Every time you turn around, the government's going to tax us, they're going to regulate us, they're going to squeeze us to the point where there's very little margin, so the incentive for capital or for the risk of the entrepreneur to come into the marketplace to be a job creator is going away. Remember, you don't work or create jobs for hobbies generally. Some people do, and some people are fortunate that they get to really spend time doing exactly what they want to do and they love. But for me, when I trade my time for money, I'm doing that to support and sustain my family. I want to do what I want to do. But if I really, right now, you know what I'd like to be right now? I'd like to be with my daughter who's having a barrel race tonight. My 11-year-old daughter's killing, daughter's killing it. She's in, um, down in Santan Valley today for a barrel race. And that's where I'd rather be. But it's not a practical reality for me all the time to do that. So in this case, when you see something like Washington State do this and they get control, it's amazing. Then you see an incredible contrast where you've got the Dems trying to skin the back of everybody. That's where it goes. That's the shift over to the IRS. Look, when you see the IRS step in, or you see government step in and say, I'm going to, everybody flipped when Obama wanted to hire 5,000 agents. Not only are they hiring these agents and saying, hey, but they're special agents. So I don't know if you've heard the news on these special agents. Look, when somebody comes, when you think of an IRS auditor or somebody taking a look, you think of a pencil pusher, somebody that's more of a number oriented type person. Somebody maybe that's not very physically uh, intimidating or what have you. That is not the model for this new special agent that they're talking with the IRS. And this is posted publicly on their job board. They deleted it and they put it back up because uh, they started looking foolish. The fact that they had it up and then they brought it down. When we come back, I'm going to share with you the elements and the things you have to be comfortable with to be an IRS special agent. This is scary because it's setting the stage for what's coming. So hang tight. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is Robert Graham, and we are wrapping up hour number two here. And first and foremost, thanks a lot. Again, I, I'm getting text messages and, and other emails here, and hopefully we'll get some callers this next hour. I generally open up the lines next hour to get some people involved, and let's talk about all these interesting dynamics that are happening, and maybe painful dynamics, quite honestly, because every one of us are feeling different pain points, but we have other concerns. Like when we start talking about financial security, independence, we start thinking about education, it, it all means different things to us. And it's uh, because all of us have a little different take on every aspect of the influence of all these policies. Something may be way more pressing and up in your face than than something that I care deeply about. Okay, so it's about working through it, making sure we have good outcomes and that we are, are clear. Again, going into the break, we were talking about the IRS. Look, independence works. Simplifying life works. Having freedom works. When you start feeling that people like when, when Donald Trump was president of the United States, he went into the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA. One of my good friends was appointed there. And again, with the different appointments and stuff, I was able to spend time back in D.C. quite a bit of time. 
and they they had actually repealed about 1600 agency rules when they were there do you know what happened to the whole ag industry and the construction industry and what have you? It wasn't that people were being allowing them to be irresponsible. There were so many rules, and and the EPA is not a law making organization, but because they were able to establish the rules, they were able to penalize, prosecute, and really hurt people. Okay, financially and just with every aspect of their lives, and so he took that suffocating pressure off. When you see the IRS expansion like this, and we're going to talk about these special agents at the top of the hour and get into it, these people that are being recruited as special agents, they're doing it because they're doing what they call find the money campaigns. Find the money campaigns are looking for people that are maybe not in the in the job posting. It talks about fraudulent filings, okay, that are maybe not being completely honest with the way that they're filing their taxes. And so they're going to look for this. So that means you're going to have more and more people micromanaging every single tax, and then they're going to come to us and hold you accountable. Now, when an IRS agent comes to you and asks you, to look at your stuff and maybe they're going to start not they're going to pressure you and they're going to start going into some of the legalities of it you have to hire professionals CPAs and maybe even some tax attorneys to support you can you afford that or are you going to try to do it yourself the IRS has endless money backed by the government of the United States you don't you've got what you've got and that pressure that comes is crazy so when we start thinking about the definition of these special agents, why would they recruit agents and ask them or tell them to qualify? You have to be permitted to carry a firearm and willing to use deadly force. Now, we're talking about an IRS agent. We're not talking about ICE. We're not talking about the U.S. Marshals. We're talking about an IRS special agent. So let's just see what the forecast is for this Democratic leadership and the way that people are going to respond to these 87,000 agents. We'll be right back after the break to talk about that more. Thank you.